Before we start this episode of Dr Whodcast, we'd like to draw your attention to BLAM UK, a charity which promotes a truthful discourse of blackness through analysis of history by providing more diverse education for young people. Right now, you can donate to help BLAM organise free lessons on black history for children. And if you are a white fan of Doctor Who and want to continue to learn, educate and be more actively anti-racist, I'd like to recommend the podcast Woke Doctor Who, who have done several episodes on how race in both the fandom and the show has been portrayed. I'd especially recommend the episode Martha My Dear, which goes a long way to explain the toxic institutionalised racism that we as Doctor Who fans need to reject in ourselves and in our community to create a better world. There's a fly by your head. Yeah, well, I didn't want to open the windows because I'd lose sound, but now there's just a fly in my room. Oh my gosh. I'm just going to deal with it. Yeah, you're going to have to deal with it. What would you, what should I name it? Percy. Percy the fly. After Percy Weasley? I feel like, yes, but I feel like we need a more positive example of, of, of Percy's in life. Percy Bysshe Shelley? Oh, very good. And also Doctor Who related. <laughs> Tenuously. <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot of historical characters that they've mentioned and they were just going, oh, who haven't we done yet? Let's <laughs> yeah. do Frankenstein. Fuck it. I mean, they haven't done too many historical references. Like, the whole of Stephen Moffat's era was, like, no historical characters pretty much at all. Do you think maybe it was just us getting old and they were doing historical characters that we thought were modern characters? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, also partly during the Matt Smith era, it just sort of became... Like Battlestar Galactica, they they went into the past less and less. Well, yeah, it was it was it was Battlestar Galactica meets Sherlock meets um, oh, I don't know. A very very awkward gynecology um, session. <laughs> is that in reference to Clara, or is that in reference to Rory and Amy? I mean, she Rory does and Amy's have first time on the toilet. Like That's what they're doing. Episodes. Do you think the Do you think the doctor's trained in gynaecology? He's a doctor of everything. Is he a doctor in medicine? Did they ever actually sort that out? Um. It, well, I always made because he saves Laszlo in the the Daleks in Manhattan two parter. I always with a with a with a um. I was about to say a spatula. What's what do you call it? We put in, you put it on your ears and you measure people's hearts. You measure Stethosco- people's hearts. Stethoscope. Stethoscope. Yes. So I, I How did know. you get a spatula from stethoscope? I don't know. What, well, it begins with an S? Uh. <laughs> you should... <laughs> the, 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 the eye roll was audible. <laughs> you, when you eye roll so hard that it makes yes. a sound. <laughs> it makes a sound. <laughs> Charlie Harris. We did. We did that. We did that the opposite way around. You normally go, "Hi, I'm Charlie Harris." I did. No, but you go no- normally go first. Oh well, get off your own ass. 
honestly, grow the fuck up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We're living in a pandemic. Uh, no, we aren't. We are still in a pandemic. Yeah. Did you think when we started this po- podcast, we, we, well, what feels like years ago, that we'd still be in, locked in our houses at this point? I knew. I knew it. Yeah, I think I think we all deep down did. Mm. You can't prove that I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't try. Um, and we we are the doctor. Is in. The Doctor is in. The Doctor Who's cast. Doctor cast. The Doctor cast. Um, and this week we are re- recapping, reviewing, analysing. Um, what went wrong in our childhood that brought us here? Yes. And The Long Game. Season 1, Episode 7. Written by Russell T. Davis. Now, can you tell me a bit about who exactly Russell T. Davis is? Um... He is a man. He is that's a in, that's all. That's all we need. Yeah, there we go. There we go. He's that's, a, he's, that's a what doctor, I he's a writer on Doctor Who. That's a man. That's a crazy thought. All <laughs> <laughs> <It's, laughs> a world where there's the doc, every Doctor Who writer is a man. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a, what a what a jump. <laughs> um, this parallel world where men dominate science fiction writing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Will, what did you think of this episode? I I have many complex thoughts about this episode. I I think that it is a good episode of Doctor Who that I enjoy. Simon Pegg is Simon Pegg is Simon Pegg, and I love him so much in this episode. Um, and I also love the the story about journalism, about um, alternative news, and about um, about the human race being stunted by almost itself by believing its own lies that it creates. I love that, those themes. Yeah. Um, I think that my main problems with it is it is that it just feels a bit slot A fits into slot B that fits into... It's like, it, it feels like an Ikea wardrobe. <laughs> it does a bit. But not in the way the end of the world literally felt like an Ikea showroom. Yes, exactly. End of the world is yes. This this set did not look like an IKEA showroom. It, it this looked set worse. looked like a. It looked worse. It looked like a weird bar in Hackney, <laughs> um, <laughs> in the nineteen eighties, um, where like when the heat when the heating got to, it was like it, it looked like the old Doctor Who sets. It's the most classic Doctor Who set mm. of the first season of of New Who so far. I don't know. I think Unquiet Dead has some pretty shoddy sets. But Undead gets away with it because it's it's historical based. Did, did you abbreviate Unquiet Dead the... to Undead? At the first and last syllables. Undead, I yeah. Like that. Undead would be a good name for a Doctor Who episode. I, I mean, I think it's the name of a lot of things. <laughs> or a Walking Dead spin-off. I don't know. I feel like that's already, that's already happened. That's... No, Undead would be the name of a show about some time-travelling TV fans who go back in time and stop The Walking Dead from ever being made. <gasps> and, that's, and it's undead. Undead! Undead! That's fantastic. Or maybe oh. it's un-undead. I don't know. We'll workshop it. Yeah. How, how, what the trailer would say? How would the trailer say? It's like, un-undead. In a world 
where time travel is possible and readily accessible. <laughs> Two idiots will travel back in time to stop the production of the television show The Walking Dead. But they keep the graphic novel series because that shit was good. That's a, it's a good series, yes. I love I love um like false mock trailers and like and, and how they and how they like constantly interrupt themselves like that's the best thing about any mock trailer is just like the, there's constant interruptions like this podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want me to interrupt you there? I was scared that the signal was one. It's like, oh no, you're just doing a bit. I was a bit. doing a bit. Right. It was hilarious. You're doing a bit. All my friends laughed. <laughs> um, what did you think of this episode? I like it. I like this episode a lot. I think that it actually has very little Chris Freckleston in it. Yes, it does. Um, Chris Freckleston in this in this kind of features as like a plot point. Like he doesn't he doesn't even save the day. He's he he get he. he, he, he he discovers the story of what's the problem with Satellite 5 and, like, what is happening. Like, most of his action is just exposition. Yeah, completely. There's, I mean, the, my favourite exposition scene of him him is him in the chair, um, talk, like, just basically explaining the whole plot and while Rose is just, like, clutching the back of his chair. Like, I thought he, I thought I'd start, like, she was massaging his shoulders. I was like... Oh, my <laughs> God, I would love that. <laughs> Um, I would have. Yeah, I would have really um, loved that. Well, this I suppose this episode for me has got, for me, it's got the best guest stars of the series. Um, I I love Tasman Greg in this episode. I think she's wonderful. Tasman. Tamsin. 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 I love Tamsin Greg in this episode, um, and it's Greg, isn't it? I like Tamsin Greg in this episode. Um, <laughs> Third time's a charm. Does Tamsin Greek count as a guest star in this episode? How famous was she? Had Green Wing come out yet? Um, I feel like we've asked this asked this question on the podcast before. Um, <laughs> I think I think it was a year earlier. Um, oh no, yeah, two thousand four. Yeah, we talked about this. So yeah, but also she's playing. She's. I think she's playing a nurse in this. Yes. Rather than a doctor. Yes. Um, but it is funny to see her go from like a comedy hospital to a sci-fi hospital. Yeah, all <laughs> Do you the think changes she thought at that stage color. of her career that that's what her entire career was going to be. <laughs> in a parallel world, I think that Tamsin Grieg had the success of Olivia Coleman. I think yes, yes. Olivia Coleman kind of has Tamsin Grieg's level of success, which is still very impressive. Hmm. And very but, good and very important. Yeah, no, sh- sure, but <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying they're such like a similar type at like this period of their careers mm. that they could have just like gone the other way. Was Olivia Coleman at this point was this was this around about the time that she was do- started doing Peep Show? Uh, I'm not going to Google that, but yeah, she was no, also we've, we've but she was enough. also on Greenway. Oh yes, she was. It, it, oh. Not not the lead like Tamsin Greek was, but she was in it, and she was in the office, and she'd done a sketch show with Mitchell and Webb and Martin Freeman called Bruiser, which I actually really like. But what's it about? It's a sketch show. It's not. It's about 
whatever no, the sketch about, is. It's about whatever it is. It's what it is. Clues in the name. Clues in the name. Sketch show. Um, yeah. Do, should we talk about Doctor Who? Uh, why? Uh, why not? Um, why don't you talk about what happens in this episode quickly? Oh, gosh. Here we go. Um, Doctor, Rose, Adam turns up to a space station. Rose, Rose and the Doctor immediately are like, Adam's an idiot, so we're going to ignore him for the whole episode. They turn up in the space station and they're like, "What's this? This should be amazing! This should be amazing!" And everyone's in like weird 2002 outfits for some reason, even though it's based in 2004. Um, Anton Deck, 2002, spiky hair. So much of this in this, that in this episode. See, I was thinking Robbie Williams. Either or. Um, then we meet. Um, oh my god, name of characters. Um, Kathika. Kathika and Susie, two people who are journalists. They have big holes in their heads. Um, these holes get uh, allow them to transfer information across the whole of the human empire. The doctor says this is cannibalistic. It's about ninety years in the past. Ooh, what? That's weird. Why is that happening? Must be some alien threat. You then see Simon Pegg with very, very blonde hair and blue contacts. Um, he is um, obviously maniacal because there are people who are who, who look dead and who've got ice on them. He he. Um, sees that there's someone who shouldn't be on the base and brings up Susie Costello. Turns out Susie is a spy and she's a very good actress because that that, that turn is very, very impressive. Susie gets killed um, by some unknown creature. Um, we, we then have exposition, 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 exposition by the Doctor explaining the world and what what's happening and about human rights and about journalistic integrity. Um, pretty much everything. So much exposition in this episode. Meanwhile, Adam is being a twat and trying to use time travel for his own means and to make himself famous. Um, he goes down to the to the bottom floor. Tamsin Greg is in there with a beautiful red overall, as opposed to a green as opposed to a green wing green overall. Um, she is having a wonderful time in basically like half flirting, half torturing this poor child, um, um, and puts a chip in his head uh, because he has an unlimited credit because the doctor who says he never carries money, has the ability to get unlimited credit for out of any cash machine. Um, the Doctor and Rose fix the lift and go up to see Simon Pegg. Um, they then discover that there a there's a massive squirrel on the on the top the top floor that is the master of the human race and has been controlling all of the information so that the human race is like cattle. Simon, Reg re Simon Pegg represents a large amount of banks, uh, Rose and the Doctor get captured in these weird, like, chain things that, doesn't, that don't make no sense. Um, now wrap it up. Um, and then Kathy comes upstairs, having her mind opened by lots of exposition that the Doctor said, um, and uses that information to burn the Jagfess alive in one of the worst CGI effects I have ever seen on the show. The Doctor... <laughs> The Doctor then leaves without saying, like, says about one word to Kafka, then leaves, takes Adam home, is like, Adam, you're a twat, because you because you did this, and then because of it, we, al we almost all died, so we're gonna, I'm going to leave you with a hole in your head. Adam's mum comes home and clicks her fingers, and I would love to see a scene of what happens next. Just one thing I'd like to point out. Her name isn't Susie Costello. Susie Costello is not... No, you're right. Is Torchwood. Susie Costello is Torchwood. From They Keep Killing Susie. Like, <laughs> I love that episode so much. I love the name of that episode. <laughs> they Keep Killing Susie. Um, uh, this is Suki Cantrell. Um, played by the wonderful Anna Maxwell Martin. Now, she is an amazing actress. Yeah. I've got some thoughts about this. I haven't seen her again. 
What what was she in? Oh. Um, she was in. She was quite famous for being in um, the National Theatre or the theatrical version of um, the Philip Pullman His Dark Materials. Oh, wow! I didn't know there was a theatrical version of that. Yeah. She was also in uh, King Lear at the National. I think her like biggest role. She was um, Esther in the BBC's Bleak House, which actually came out this same year. Actually. Came out 2005. So 2005 was a good year for this actress. Yeah. Actual. She, she, she's really great. She was recent, most recently she was in Line of Duty, she's playing Adrian Dunbar's boss, and she was also in Good Omens playing Beelzebub. Ah. Well, I need to see Good Omens then, because Michael Sheen and, and David Tennant's in it, so why have, the fact <laughs> that I haven't seen it is frankly remarkable. Um, no, um, she's, she's great, but it's a shit character. It's a shit character. I think. I think because I'm a because I'm a big fan of camp, <laughs> as we know. Um, there's something about her sudden change from um, quiet, like bubbly Suki to um, freedom fighter Suki when she says, "Who's in control? Satellite Five. Like that sudden change. I love. I get what you mean, but what annoys me is that there are periods of time where she's on her own. And you don't you don't see any of that change when she has no reason to keep it up. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Um, I mean, I also how I always justified that is that she doesn't know she's not being watched. No, not really that. No, that I I feel like the the freedom fighter character is more put on than you think. That's what that's my take on it. Is there actually? Oh, that's bullshit. If, if they wanted that to be the case... No, I'm sorry. If they wanted that to be the case, they'd have had her do more. Potentially, yeah. Just just, just trying Heads Canon, Charlie, to make it work in my head. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just, a, I'm just a humble Doctor Who fan, trying to believe the best about the show. She's her true self for, like, a second, and it has no consequence. Yeah. I mean, um... I think I think I think the reason that I believe that is because of her scream when the Jagrafess is coming down. I was like, that's the that's Suki one scream, not Suki two scream. Well, that's what that's what kind of pisses me off about it is that she's meant to actually be this hardened freedom fighter, but she's still like she sees a dead body and she screams. She's not. She's Jagrafess. She, she's still. There's a brief moment where she is supposedly her true self, and that's the twist for that character. Hmm. But it's 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 so nothing, and you could have done the same with that character without her have have her be like this hardened warrior person. She could have even like just been a hacker. But we can talk um, about that later. So we mentioned the doctors not in this episode very much. Why don't we talk just a bit about what we like about him in this episode and what his main contribution is? Um, so I like the fact that he is, um, he is promoting a freedom across, across, across the, across the galaxy. Like he is, like the, the reason that he is trying to help in this scenario is that, um, he believes the human race is on the wrong course of history and they are not living their full potential. And I like that idea Mm -hmm. of the doctor being able to understand where the human race should be. 
um, in history and trying to help it along because it's being put put back. Yeah. Um, I also like um, the fact that he says earlier on in the episode to Suki when she goes upstairs, oh, I'll hug anyone, me. Um, I think that's one of the, 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 the nicest breaks of just genuine kindness that the Doctor has in the first season. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right about that. And I think it's I think it's it's nice that especially after Dalek, where the Doctor is so dark in in Dalek, mm-hmm. um, it's nice to have an idea of like a, a, a renewed sense of levity w- w- um, with the Doctor. Um, sure. I always had a sense that um, Christopher Eggleston's Doctor started off very like end of the world, very meme like, very funny like very charming and then as the season grew more and we learned more about his character then he became darker i think now that i'm re-watching it i'm realizing that he's always that he's he's getting he's actually getting kinder he's just get like I, what i mistook for darkness later on is just being more layered yeah i i, I think there's definitely an element of that and i also think that just eccleston's style he does always bring some intensity to everything he does, and I don't think he'd take the role if he wasn't hmm. going to do something interesting in it. Um, so, so I, I, I can't envisage any version of Chris Freckleson's Doctor that is jokey and fun and doesn't have that sort of intensity and sensitivity. No, neither can I. I think I think that what's surprising me about the rewatch um, of season one is that is how is how kind and how nice and how jolly he can be. Yeah. And he has the ability to be. As well, well that that and the fact that he hates all men. Like, <laughs> those would be my two takeaways, is that any woman character he meets, and not in a romantic sense, just genuinely in a in a loving woman sense he really likes. Oh, he's lovely. Yeah, he's absolutely lovely. As soon as he get as soon as he meets any kind of man in this universe, apart from Captain Jack, he instantly dislikes them. <laughs> Is there, I'm just trying to think, is there any exception? Uh, I mean, Captain Jack's the big one, but even then, like the first... But uh, other, other than that, I mean, he doesn't like him at first. Uh, potentially Pete Tyler. I was, gonna, I was thinking Pete Tyler, but I think he hates his whole existence, so that's pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Um, it's up there. Charles Dickens. Oh, that's such a good point. Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. Definitely. He loves Charles Dickens. Fucking loves him. And even when Dickens is a dick, he's just like, I see what you I see what you're going through, but you know, you just gotta just gotta chill, Charles. <laughs> that's true. Um should we talk about Rose? Because I, lo- I I love Rose in this episode. She has so many like great subtle moments. What well, yep, yeah, she she like the like her her coming out of the TARDIS, like I was the most I've laughed at Rose all season was when she came out of the TARDIS and was and the Doctor basically gave her a crib sheet of what, what where they are, and then she was he, and then is she he like wingmanning her, yeah, which I love. I love that like <laughs> the beloved the lo- beloved pair are wingmanning each other. They're like swingers. They're like intergalactic sw- swingers. Oh my god, you're absolutely right because there's also Jabe in the end of the world where she's kind of. Oh my god, yes, yeah, she's wingmanning him. Oh my god! And then Jack. Ah, oh, Jack. Jack ruins that dynamic. I love Jack, but he does ruin that whole <laughs> intergalactic swingers thing that I hadn't noticed before. 
Or maybe maybe the thing is that they were intergalactic swingers and then they met Jack. And then they're just a throuple. Yeah, no, they just met Jack and they were like, oh, he's like, okay, well, he maybe we need to be in a relationship. Relationship. <laughs> this is too dangerous. <laughs> I think Rose does have some really cool bits. I love that she just... It doesn't feel like she's following the Doctor. It just feels like they're just hanging out together. Yeah. It's not like he's going off on something and she's conspicuously following him. They're, ju- they're just a pair at this point. Yeah. And not necessarily in a couple way. They're just mates. And their chemistry seems so genuine and so worn at this point. And I like that it's it, Rose is asking the right questions without being like patronizingly patted on the back for asking the right questions or like showcase. She's just doing it. If anything, I think Kathika's being patronised. Mm. Oh, Ka- poor Kathika. This whole episode... Her name sounds so much like Kathita. <laughs> poor Kathita. It does, though. I, I, I like Kathika as a character, but it does feel like a half-finished arc. Yeah, I think I think that... Yeah, well, I, I also think this episode, it's it's another episode, I know we've said this quite a lot of times, it's another episode that could be a two-parter. I think you could really extrapolate the journalist stuff out of it, um, and, the, and, the, and the world building. And I think it'll be really interesting, especially in comparing it to the end of the season, where we vis- revisit the same place. Um, it will be really interesting to have an idea of the, of this, of the third, third great and powerful, bountiful, human empire thing um dot 29 there's more decimal points in this episode when did we start doing that there's also an apostrophe somewhere yeah i think rusty davis when he's like oh space figures i'm gonna have added apostrophes and dots is that i think that's a thing from star trek though isn't it yes it's like star star, star log um 24-5 yeah something like that and i only know that from futurama parodying it I would love to see an, a live action like version of just Zap Brannigan. Like, who would you cast as a live action Zap Brannigan? The guy that played Solo. Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think he's. I actually think he's really good as Solo. I think that he's. The problem is, is that he's potentially he's doing a bit too much of a Harrison Ford impression for my liking. Oh, I love that movie. So many people hated it. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. So much better than Rise of Skywalker. Oh, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a three hour rant of how much I hate that film. Let's not do that r- r- right now. Thing about Rose and the Doctor, though, I just thought I'd say what I found really interesting is how quickly they realize the dynamic as a three of them with Adam just doesn't work. Uh, almost immediately, Alm- like it's the, it's before the opening credits. You literally hear that as the doctor's like, he's your boyfriend. Not anymore. Stupid. No. Stupid. It's a bad idea. Let's leave him here. Um, I suppose we haven't talked about Adam, um, which I suppose is our least favourite moment. For me, it's my least favourite moment of the series. <laughs> so I just think I'd, I'd like to mention for Adam is that the original script had his um, father dying of an incurable disease, which he finds the cure for on Satellite 5. Oh, wow. Now that's more nuanced. Which would have made him more sympathetic. But I also think the reason why they changed it is because then it's harder to justify the Doctor leaving him. Yes, but I think... I have I have a suspicion that in 
later series of the show, even series four, they would make that they would make that harsh decision, because I think that I think that's really that's really interesting. It's a really interesting nuance of like he's saving his dad, but at the same time he's messing with the whole of time, like the ramifications of it. But that's it's still not... selfish. It's still selfish. It's, it's, it, it, it is, but it's not. I, I don't think he fully realizes the consequences of of what he's doing. He's seeing it through the prism of helping himself. And I think if you don't understand the problem of doing it, which I don't actually think he does, mm. and you're doing it for a good reason, then kind of what do you do wrong? It's a mistake, but it's not a bad mistake that you make for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Whereas this, I, I don't think he needs to be... Nuanced is the wrong word. I don't think he needs to be sympathetic. People can be greedy. People do greedy things. Mm, that's true. And I, and I think that it's also... Considering where they found him... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, his role model is Henry Van Staten. Like, that's not a... That's not a really... That's not, that's not a person with a level head and not a greedy bone in his body. Exactly. I think it, I think it kind of... Um, it makes sense. Yeah. And I think that it's... Um, do you think the Doctor is justified in what he does to Adam in keeping that chip there? I mean, he first of all, he doesn't really know how to take it out. True. Necess- now, maybe, maybe he does, but also the Doctor didn't put it there. Yeah, that's true. What? Wh- why was that? Why would that be his responsibility? True. I think. I think that in just. I, I think it's more it's less about the fact about the chip it's about the fact that he is damning adam to a as as the doctor says a mediocre life and the fact that the doctor knows that he's damning adam to a mediocre life and like that's cold it's it's cold but at the end of the day he doesn't owe him anything he hasn't if you think about his relationship with rose it is built on the fact that she saved his life and and this relationship's built on the intergalactic swingers that they are. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just Rose said, "Oh, maybe bring this guy along." Mm. I do wonder though if Rose had said, "No, give him another chance," whether or not he would have done. But she didn't. Yeah, yeah. Rose was done. Rose was so done. Rose was done ten minutes into this episode with with, and then she, yeah, like and and completely fair. I think at one point Adam says he's time sick, and at that point I was like, "You." What like, the this... fuck? What's that even mean? I know. Don't make that up. Don't yeah, make don't, up a thing. But that's a thing. It's much more catastrophic than whatever you're going through. Mm, exactly. Um, I think that um, although I do not like Adam and not supposed to like Adam in this episode, I do think that his scenes with Tams and Greg is really compelling. Like, does that... that... And also the music behind it as well, the sort of, like, incidental, like... Incidental dental music. <laughs> I know what you mean. I think Tamsin Gregg is, in everything she does, very compelling, very funny, very charismatic. I don't love those scenes. And the reason I don't is because they do the same thing three times. It's like, oh, I've got a technical glitch. This is the medical bay. Oh, okay, then. And then he comes back. Our priest was like, no, 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 you have to get the chip done. Oh, well, that costs money. Oh, well, I can't do that. Oh, wait a minute. I can't. It's kind of... There's like a false it's disjointed. There's like a false leave three times. I think you have when he finds out it's medical, when he finds out he needs surgery, when he finds out he has to pay, 
but I quite like that because it's almost like that that idea of like I don't really want to do this, but like just keep on getting like tricked back in. But just even even the block even the blocking of him getting up to go away and the delivery it's just it's just takes so long and you know where it's going. That's true, and it's also in the it's in the big twenty minutes of exposition dump. Yeah, it's padding. Um, yeah, I agree that it's I agree that it's padding. I think if all of the scenes were put together, I think it would just make more narrative sense. Um, and I think you can cut the first scene where like she's in that she's in the medical room. The only reason that that medical room scene is there, I think, is it's the only only scene in the whole of the whole of this this episode that looks remotely like the satellite five that we see in in the last two episodes, and it's green screen. It's so green screen. Oh my mm. god! It's the only thing that isn't filmed on that repurposed set. Mm. But that that the 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 first floor they're on like does not look like a satellite five floor, and I know it's the same set, but they they just they film it so differently. It just doesn't look like satellite five. No, it's 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 good filming, but the reason I keep banging on about this set is it's so integral to the very existence of this episode. Well, I I was writing that down. I I remember looking through my notes and I was and I lit and the first shot of this episode comes up and I was like, God damn that set has not aged well. And I was really angry about it. I was like, come on, you Hugh, sort it out. And then as the episode went on, I was like, oh, it's about the sh- the whole episode is about being stuck in the past, stuck in t- uh, stuck in a time that shouldn't be, stuck in stuck in a a thing where we should have moved on forward further than this. And I quite like the fact that it's classic Doctor Who now that I've got, like... That's such an interesting take on shit set design. Yes. What I was actually what I was actually saying is that that shitty set being used for every scene is part of the entire episode's existence because Rusty Davis wrote it because they could use the same set over and over again to save money. Oh, I see. So you were going for the more practical reasons. Okay. Yeah. Although it didn't end up saving the money because there's a lot. There's still a lot of CGI, particularly the Jagrafest. Yes. Um, I, shall we get to the? Shall we speak of the Jagrafest? Shall we get to the the villains, the two, the the the, the duo that is, are the villains? That is an impeccable segue. Um, first of all, Simon Thank Pegg. You. Simon Pegg, brilliant. Simon like, Pegg didn't put a foot wrong. Also, huge Doctor Who fan. My notes. Every time Simon Pegg comes up in my notes, it just says Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. It's just different le- different ways of saying Simon He's Pegg. He's clearly having a fantastic he time. Is having the, he's having the best time ever. He's a massive Doctor Who fan. He he also, now that I know that he did Doctor Who for Confidential for the first season, I like him even more. Um, he's he's just he's just having a ball in this episode. And I think that's what makes this episode watchable so many years later, is that Simon Pegg is just having so much fun playing this controller. It's not his first Doctor Who role, though. What? He was in a Big Finish audio play, I think, before this. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it sounds it. Um, but no, I... I <laughs> when, when? Like, the start of Big Finish? Like, just before Doctor uh, Who? Like... Let me find it. I have the thing up on another tab. <laughs> back to Google. <laughs> no, back to IMDb. This episode is going to be entitled When Charlie and Will Learned About Google. So, doc, it's an eighth Doctor audio play, Invaders from Mars. 
which um, Paul McGann is. Is it an ice warrior story? Yeah, it probably is. It may well be. <laughs> Anything of Mars is like. Yeah, it, it started on two thousand. It started on two thousand five. Um, I actually think it came out after this episode aired, but I don't know when it was recorded. It said previously on IMDb. So just before the podcast started, me and Charlie had a bit of a, a, a bit of a discussion about the the Jagrafess. And my argument was that I think Simon Pegg should be the full blasted villain. Um, and I'd like to, and we were like, let's leave this to the podcast and argue about it. So Charlie, let, why do you think the, Jagra, the use of the Jagrafess and the use of Simon Pegg being in the position that he is in is beneficial to this episode? Or beneficial to him as a villain? I would like to start by saying that the CGI of the Jagrafess isn't as bad as you seem to think it is. I have a problem with the CGI of the Jagrafess dying more than the Jagrafess. Because I just think I just think the skin looks bad. I don't like the weird discoloration on it. I don't like the, the fact that there's like CGI bits of the Jagrafess coming down from the ceiling. I think that just looks crap. Oh, it felt like blobs of meat. I really like that effect. Okay. Um... I don't know, maybe my discernment for CGI is a bit less nuanced than yours, but who knows. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think Attack of the Clones has got really good CGI. <laughs> it, doesn't. it doesn't. And it really doesn't. <laughs> but, you know, what I really like about the introduction of that character is that it actually makes Simon Pegg a lot more interesting. Mm. Because he's not doing it for world domination. He's doing it for... He's not even doing it for power. He's doing it for profit, he's latching on to a bigger person and he's made a calculation that it profits him more to serve this big figure than to think for himself and essentially protect the human race. It's the same reason that Darth Vader is infinitely more interesting than the Emperor. Yes, that's true. Um, uh, yeah, they're slightly, more, they're slightly more fallible and they've, slightly, they've, they've got more of an agenda that's not about evil. They, like... Or Saruman is more interesting than Sauron. That that is a really good take. I think maybe there's another part of me that thinks that the Jagrafess, similar to similar to um, the Bells of Saint John, in which there is like um, in that Doctor episode with you might not see. Is that when you stop watching? It's first season of Clara. I've seen that one. Um, it's um, it's when the Great Intelligence Richard E. Grant is revealed at the end, and that's the person that they're serving. Now, I don't really like that reveal in in the Bells of St. John. I think it's like, this is who the main villain, main bad guy of this half scene scene is going to be. But I think it would have been... It would have been nice if there was a bit of mystery... If Simon Pegg was still the the second in command, but there was no Jagrafess on the station. It was the Daleks. But we learn nothing about the Jagrafess. So it's still mysterious. It's still mysterious, but I think it would be a more ingenious plot if Simon Pegg was instilled there by the Daleks, and the Dalek and the Doctor scuppered the Daleks' plan once, and the Daleks changed tack, and because the Daleks in the in the end of in the in the final two-parter, the Dalek it, it is confirmed that the Dalek that this timeline has been stunted not just by the Jagrafest, but it's the Daleks. They are the reason that the the Jagrafest was installed. 100 years ago mm-hmm. um, from this point. So I just think it would be more nuanced to... 
I think I've said the word nuance about five times in this in this podcast. Um, I just think I just think it would be a, a, a cleverer decision. Um, and I think I think my main problem with the Jaguar Fest is that it's it's. I sometimes have a problem with Doctor Who when they creature bait. Does that make sense? Where they give a they give a creature for the sake of there being a creature. I see what you mean. Did the Jaguar Fest did not need to be a giant CGI blob in the sky that didn't speak English. Um, it it could have been another human being. It could have been it could have been a mysterious entity. Even it could have been a mysterious entity. They just had to find a way to use the Jagrafess's weakness to bring down the whole of bring down the whole of the satellite. Sure. And I would have been more I would have been more interested if Cath the way of the way that which Cathaca. Um, sorry, I'm going a bit of ramped here. Um, the, the way in which Cathaca solves the problem not by turning the heating off. Um, t- turning the central heating off, but by giving back in some way, in some clever, right, written way, the information that the human race has been withh- withheld, even if on- even if only for a second to overload the systems. Something I was thinking while watching this episode was that one thing about it that's aged particularly badly is that the revelation that the information humans consume is being manipulated by bankers and some nefarious secret society the fact that that would change anything or the fact that that revelation would be important to people yeah that's true because we're living in a world realistically where that is the case where a lot of the information that a lot of people consume is highly partisan is highly airbrushed and we know this and we still consume and we still believe and we still work on the basis of the information we're given. Mm. Whereas in this episode, it's a dystopia that that's the case. But that, I suppose that could also speak to the the political context of the time. I mean, it, Tony Blair was Tony Blair was still at the time of filming. Tony Blair was still prime minister. Um, just I, I think, think so. two thousand four. I, I, I think it's well, two thousand at the time of filming. I don't know if it's films. This episode was filmed 2004, 2005, but... Oh, yeah. True, the um, the main political event hanging over this season, Doctor Who, most noticeably, is the Iraq War. Yes. Um, and this episode, even even though this episode... because This episode almost, like... Maybe I'm giving it too much credit for what, what it's worth, but... I think I think it's almost it almost talks about like the bank the bankers crash in two thousand and eight. It's like that's that's when like th- these kind of th- these thoughts thoughts about like what is news what what are these people doing with our money etc. That's when that all started tumbling down and becoming more public consciousness. I I see what you mean. I don't think it has much to do with the financial crash. I think what it does have to do with is the fact that. Even though the lot of a lot of people were getting better under new labour, the inequality gap was still widening, hmm. and there were still significant powers invested in an unregulated banking sector, which is what Simon Pegg uh, represents. Hmm. And again, I think the fact that he is willing to serve under a creature that, let's be honest, has to stay in the cold. Like speaks in you know shrieks yeah that is so clearly evil just in how it's presented 
I think makes him a more compelling villain because he is because he's so clearly evil because he's willing to serve someone who is clearly evil. Yeah, that he is just so single-minded in his self-centeredness. Yeah. Okay. I I I am gonna agree with I I'm gonna agree with that point. Um, I'm gonna disagree with the Jagfess points that I think the Jagfess should be fine. used. But I I thank you thank you for the discussion, Charlie. That's what we have podcasts about. What's your favorite moment of the episode? Um, <laughs> um, the reason why I'm laughing is that um, I have a note that says my favorite my favorite moment of this episode is um, Rose's outfit, um, my, which is not true, but it is just just a shout out to Rose's outfit for this episode. She looks awesome. She uh, she looks the most futuristic thing in this whole episode. That's so true. Yeah, <laughs> everyone else looks like they're from two thousand two. Rose is like, I am from twenty fifty. Um, in this, in this, oh, and also another funny note. Um, I wrote, I wrote Rose, Rose's punky fish outfit is everything, and it auto corrected to Rose's kinky fish outfit is is awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, any favorite moment? Um, it probably is the last scene with the clicking. Of Adam, really? I think it's just very funny slapstick comedy, and I I remember when I was a kid laughing so much at that whole thing. Um, I think it was I think it was what it was. I remember very vividly as a vividly as a child, um, laughing at that last joke, and then me, my mum, and my dad like laugh like continuously laughing throughout the whole of the end credits, like laughing over the the Father's Day trailer for the next time because that l- last joke was so funny. Um, and that's not to say it's a bad episode that the last bit's the best thing, but like I just find that slapstick bit of comedy so funny. What's yours? Um, I have such a crush on Kathika. I can understand why. She's beautiful, 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 beautiful. Just, just, just literally yeah, a lot of the stuff. She, and I also love that she is so shamelessly going for promotion, and then as soon as Suki, like, is nice to anyone, she's like. Oh, bit thirsty. He's like, no, fucking <laughs> hypocrite. <laughs> I just think she's. I just think she's so funny. Mm. I think. I think she's. I think she's a really good character in this episode. I just wish. I wish that there was a bit more writing to her. Yeah. But I think that it's a very clever idea for a character. Um, is she being flirty can, with the you... doctor, where she's like, "I'll do anything for promotion"? Is that meant to be read as her flirting? Oh. I don't know. That's a really good point. Maybe. Especially at a time where that sort of conduct and behavior in a corporate environment was, you could laugh at it more easily because I I, th- I think obviously our attitudes have changed a lot towards that sort of culture. Yeah. And in the, in the early 2000s, the casting couch was almost a gag rather than like a, like, like a, a, a thing of real pain, which it was anyway. But like in our cultural context, it was yeah. it was more of a gag. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Um, uh, have we mentioned least mom- least favorite moment? No, I'm not even sure what my favorite moment is. I, th- I think my favorite is just. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, your favorite moment was just Kathika. No, just, just the fact that you just, just I, I just want to <laughs> I just want to date the 2005 version of that actress. Mm. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, so, I think just also everything Sam Pegg does is hilarious. Yeah, Sunday. Particularly the bits where it's just him talking to the off-screen Jagrafess when there's no one else on on screen. 
So the stuff with Suki, the stuff with Doctor is all great, but it's particularly when he's just on his own, when he's the only actor there with any lines. I I agree. I I I love it in a different. I I love the same thing, but framed in a different way. I love when he's talking to the zombies, and like he's like searching again, just like taps him on the shoulder. I find it so funny. Do you think it's sort of foreshadowing, if not Rise of the Cybermen, um, uh, um, the Army of Ghosts? Um, what with the with the earpieces that 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 kind of idea, like yeah, how how you can, how you're dead, but. The, the technology is still controlling your body. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a that's a love that's a nice little push. But I I would definitely also science in the library, where the where the suits are still coming to life. Oh, I see. Yeah, that is a theme that's used a lot in Doctor Who, isn't it? Just like dead bodies being pulled along. I mean, you even have the Unquiet Dead and the Slovene. Its bodily autonomy is kind of a run subtext. Mm. Don't you mean the un un undead? Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> Again, you could visibly hear the eye roll. Just shut the fuck, um, shut the fuck up. Let's. Do you want to go? Least into favorite episode. Least, least favorite, favorite moment. <laughs> least least favorite episode. Least favorite moment. This. No. Um, I mean, I said it before, Adam. Um, which Adam bit specifically? I don't like when he's and I said I liked the scene with him with Tamsin Greg, um, in the doctor's chair, but I don't like his self interruptions. He doesn't have the flow. Like, it's just... Uh, 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 uh. I don't like that. I think that's just... I think that's bad acting. I think it's too It's too long of a pause. I, I don't want to just, like, micro-inspect every acting choice he makes. Oh, okay. Another, le- another least favourite moment that's away from the acting choice. Um, the weird orange bumpers in the lift. What's that about? I don't know. It looks like it belongs in a wacky warehouse. It's it's honestly truly yeah yes yeah, it's terrible yeah, exactly that yeah or it's like a it's like um a ride at, at at Thorpe Park like one of the seats in a ride at Thorpe Park it's it, it's it's bad I will say um, though that 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 this when they were in the lift especially when Suki and the Doctor and Rose are in the lift it's the best last lit lift the season one is because it's just that harsh white light like they look so good in that lift like all of them everyone looks like stunning. Like everyone, everyone's attractiveness went up about 10, 10, 15% in that lift. Yeah, as soon as you went to that lift. And you had the orange bumpers. Okay, so my least favourite moment in the episode is also an Adam moment. It's the faint. Oh, the faint. It's so bad. The faint is really bad. There's kind of a noise with it that goes with it as well. It's like, oh. It's like, oh. It, it just feels like it belongs to a cartoon. It just, it just doesn't gel with the rest of the episode. And it's saved by the reaction of Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. But And it's not the actor's fault. It's it's a, it's in the script and it's a choice by the director to do that. But it's just... Uh, it's it's so hacky. It's so shit. I, I, I don't love it. I also think it's, it's building up to a big crescendo because it's just about to be the title sequence. You have the Doctor explaining the vista of the world from this observation de- deck. Um, first season, like first season, they love an observation deck. Um, um, the fucking clip art earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel bad, Adam, because I don't think he's a bad actor inherently. I just think that Doctor Who, um, really potentially shafted him, like as a character, that he is just he is just hated. I don't think Doctor Who writes wet well. 
uh for for the listeners charlie just raised his eyebrows uh no i think you're wrong because they do because they do mickey well oh that's true they do but they don't do mickey well at the beginning of season one no but he's still very entertaining even if you feel bad for him and you feel like the show's punching down a bit in its humor i think that he's hell of a lot more compelling than adam yes that's true and it might be it's because he has redeeming qualities whereas adam seems not to have any um, he seems to have a nice mum. Do you want to move on to Easter eggs? Because I, st- I started, I've got a lot on this episode. Oh, really? I don't have very much. Uh, just something interesting that you might want to is that Simon Pegg has called Christopher Eccleston Misery Guts after working with him on this. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I think this might have been at that shooting block. I think if this and Father's Day were shot back to back, that would make sense because... That was when it all kind of shooting-wise apparently went a bit off the rails. I thought that it went off the rails at the beginning, and then it just it just took Christopher Eccleston until that long to. Yeah, but until this sorry until this point, I'm talking about before Christopher Eccleston. Oh, I see. So do you think this was around about the time that he announced he was going to leave? I have no idea because I'm not. It'll be interesting to see knowing that he leaves at the end of the season whether or not we spot than putting in any clues. Hmm. I mean, I mean, the Doctor this episode is delightful, but he's not doing big acting. Um, I do feel like they'd have given him more to do in episodes like this if they'd have known they had him for so little time. Yeah, exactly. And I think potentially they might have like boosted up the... Actually, no, the Doctor and Rose relationship here is almost perfect. I, it's it's one of the best Doctor and really Rose. I really love it. Like, it's, it's so weird when you think about this episode, and I haven't watched it. This is one of the episodes that I haven't watched, like, forever. Um, and you think about this episode, and you, <laughs> Charlie's just yawning while I'm speaking. I feel I feel seen. <laughs> Wrap up, William. Um, but um, I, even though this is an Adam episode, like... But the like the fact that this is one of the best Doctor Rose like relationship episodes is is quite a surprise to me, and they just are just having such fun. Yeah. Um. So you said you had a lot of Easter eggs. I don't have that many Easter eggs now. Now I'm looking looking back at it. Oh, now um, you don't have that many. Now Easter I don't eggs. have much Easter eggs. Um. Did you I look think... at how long we've been recording for? <laughs> um. Probably hours. Um, I think I think my main one that I just wanted to um, mention is um, the face of Bo has a baby called Bo Mina. That's very cute. And I was like, that is the most Jack Harkness thing to do to name his child after himself. Yeah. So would it be a human baby? Prob- but I suppose Jack's not human. But I don't. I feel like anyway, eventually in Torchwood we're going to get to a point because I feel like Torchwood's going to come back eventually. I feel like it's going to keep on coming back every five to ten years. Um, and as John Barrowman gets gets older and older and older, um, they're going to they're going to they're going to address the face, how he turns into the face of Bo. And I'm very excited for it. Or if they don't big finish, definitely will. Oh, yeah, yes, it probably already has. Um, sexy moments. Any sexy moments for you? Um, not not a huge amount, ex- except that. Well, um other than we've mentioned i think tamsin greek is weirdly sexy with adam yeah she's flirting she's flirting like it's just, there's just something like quite coldly like sexual about their encounter yeah i mean 
in any hookup, I look for someone to freeze my sick. Um, oh, you know, that was apparently, I think it was kiwi and lime um, ice cube. It's like a flavoured ice cube. And you said you didn't have any Easter eggs. That is a fantastic Easter egg. That's not an Easter the egg. Bohemian though, lime open. ice it cube. It's a behind the scenes fact. It's not an Easter egg. That's true. But I mean, how many how many times have we started the Easter egg segment on this podcast with this is not an Easter egg, but that's so true. That's so true. <laughs> it's kiwi and orange, not kiwi and lime. Kiwi and orange is almost nice. Kiwi and lime is the, it's the old mood cider. That's why I thought that. <laughs> old mood cider is good. Really good. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so, did you have any more Easter eggs? Uh, no, I think I did have them, and then my notes decided. I think all my Easter eggs basically came from the information on the 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 information that was done that Cath that Cathica said about the human race. Um, oh, fair. Well, um, just watch the episode I, then. Yeah, just watch the episode. If you want an Easter egg, just watch. Watch if you the want our episode. Easter egg section for this week, I'm doing watch your the job for you, you pieces of shit. <laughs> oh dear. So, if you were going to rate this episode... One second, I have another Easter egg. Oh, hello. The name of the channel is Bad Wolf Fest. That was it. Yeah, that's true. It's um, worth mentioning. It might come back later, it might not. Who knows? Well, it's very interesting, because I am a... I have mentioned before that I'm a big fan of reaction videos. And I have watched... I have watched... In preparation for this week, I've not done a lot of, like, external reading outside of the long game. But I have... Um, I watched a lot of reaction videos to the long game because I was like, I've no idea how people are going to react to the Jagrafess. Um and and also I was very excited to see all of these geeks reacting to Simon Pegg being in Doctor Who in two thousand and five, which is fab which has been which was fabulous to watch. Um, but it was ex it was this episode where all of them noticed the bad wolf. Interesting. Like like. It was this episode where all of them took a like actually took a note of like we've heard that a couple of times now, um, and I think I think you could potentially like make a case for it, but like now that it's like it's it's fully repeated now it's after yeah. Dalek etc. I I feel like it really is starting to hit home now that the bat that Bad Wolf is 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 going to come up later on. Okay, so if we were rating it, what would you give this episode out of nine? I would give this episode a 5 out of 9. Which I think is the lowest I've rated in a Doctor episode so far. I think it might be. You've not rated anything else 5? No, I don't think I so. I think I'd give um, this... You know, I think I'd give it a 6 just because I love Simon Pegg in this episode. And there's so much that I do like. I think that what I've learnt coming out of this episode is... And I've, I've not rewatched this episode in a while... And actually, it's got a lot of rewatch value. Mm -hmm. It's very entertaining. Whether or not you can watch it to take the mick out of Adam, whether or not you're watching it to have fun with the Rose and the Doctor, whether or not you're watching it for some interesting journalist satire, especially in our climate right now. Um, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good episode to watch. And Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg. Uh, I have just had a thought about about satire. Just in, in Doctor Who. The concept of satire. Well, kind of. This seems to be more satirical now than it was when it came out. About journalism. 
Yes. It'll be interesting to see whether or not, say, more modern episodes that were kind of meant to be satirical in their kind have actually become more relevant. As we go through, we don't need to start thinking about that now. But it would be interesting to see whether or not a lot of the stuff, particularly as it gets onto stuff like immigration or native rights, when you have the Silurians, whether or not we start noticing a prescience that wasn't even there when it was written and came out. Mm. I'm thinking, for example, about Utopia and the idea of refugees. Yes. And in the years following that, we've had huge refugee crises. So not that it's not in a sense of it predicting the future, but I think it's so interesting how, particularly in something that is like entertainment, something that is mildly satirical, can sometimes age very, very well based on changing events in the future. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's a really good point. Um, I would love to, I would love to talk about that more. Because I think I think I think you're right. There are so many episodes, and Doctor Who is so satirical in so many episodes. Some are not, some are not, but some but some are like there's just satire seeping all over them, um, like sap. Um, and um, yeah, I just I, I I think that'd be really interesting to chart. I'm just trying to think of an example. I was I I, I was thinking potentially of Midnight. Um, and I know that's not necessarily satire, but like I think that there's a moment, there's a moment in Midnight that I think is super powerful. Watching it now, when they're watching all the videos and listening to all the music all at once, it's just sensory overload. Yes, that's true. Um, I think my other, I, my other version of that was the um, the. I think that especially in times now, I think I think that we're seeing public persona and private persona, and I think that episode really mm-hmm. highlights the what's underneath the surface of people um and i think i think especially now i think that's that's more relevant than ever um but there are there are better examples and um, that's why i was i mean in our ring is that there are better examples it's weird thinking that at the time where john sim first played the master the worst charlatan they could imagine is tony blair yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's so interesting to think yeah like oh imagine if it was like tony blair but a homicidal maniac but now we actually have homicidal maniacs in these positions i've never read john sims master like that before and that's that's perfect i i can't believe i've never done that it's so that's that's so glaringly obvious fabulous well you're an idiot (laughs) (laughs) roll credits (laughs) uh this has been lovely um listen to us keep listening to us we love you very much goodbye goodbye bye